welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, got a few awesome topics this week. I went ahead and uh, put a little post on the Facebook page there asking for a few extra topics uh, from some of you Knockstar fans out there. Uh, hopefully some of you have been watching uh, the Knock On TV new season 5 and have seen some of the posts that I've been making about trying to draw some people to the Knock On podcast because this really is an opportunity for me to be able to get a little bit more in-depth on certain subjects that in many cases I'm not able to talk about at length, especially when it comes to TV. I'm so limited on you know, the amount of time that I can actually talk about some of these specific subjects, uh, especially when I'm trying to do so and fit it in between commercial breaks that I have to have every five minutes. So uh, I guess just to give a little recap here of uh, what's happened here in probably the past uh, week or so since the last podcast, uh, the first major thing was uh, I went and did commentating for the Lancaster Classic this year, the big Lancaster shoot, and it was an awesome tournament, uh, such a great venue. For any of you out there who are looking to just do one tournament of a, of a year, you know, for fun, looking for a really good indoor tournament that I think uh, you could bring the whole family to, regardless of the, I guess, of the skill level that you're at. This is a great event. Uh, Rob and Ted and all the organizers, you know, everybody from Lancaster did an awesome job. They had a great dinner uh, to go along with uh, some phenomenal shooting as well. And it's a really unique format. Uh, this was the first year that they had live commentary, so I was uh, pretty pretty happy to be able to be there and give my two cents uh, during this entire tournament. And I know that uh, a lot of you out there have really uh, appreciated having that as well. I've had so much feedback from all of you out there who uh, appreciated being able to hear my opinions not only on different shooters that were on the line, but also just uh, some of the friendly banter that I had with some of my guests that uh, were able to come up and talk with me. So that was really, really fun. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Lancaster actually posted um, their tournament, uh, or at least the live part where there was commentary uh, in several different segments on YouTube. So you could probably look that up. Uh, if you do want to be able to hear that and uh, you know again there was a lot of good shooting instruction and feedback that I gave along uh, with some of the different things that I spotted on some of the different pros Uh, occasionally some breakdowns in form but also some of the things that uh, some of the top archers did really well too so it was a great time uh, to let people that were on the live chat ask me questions as they were watching live archery 
and I was able to respond to those questions as we were all watching things unfold. So it was a really, really unique format to have that kind of interaction. So uh, if you were one of the ones that were listening to that, and if you enjoyed it, make sure you send Lancaster uh, an email and let them know that you want to have that again. Uh, I went there on my own time and did that as a favor to Rob, who's a great friend. And uh, I certainly did have fun. So if he's willing to have me back, I would, I would most certainly do it again. Um, if you were listening to that Lancaster classic commentary, then the one thing that you did hear me announce towards the end of the tournament was I did announce um, the fact that I'm actually scheduled for shoulder surgery. Uh, this is a, a really, really big deal. Uh, it's something that's bothered me for for many years. I've continued to have uh, my front shoulder uh, continue to wear down and wear down from years of football and uh, just different sports, weightlifting, and then obviously archery on top of all that. Uh, a few miscellaneous injuries, a fall from a tree stand, um, just all that over the years finally came to a head. Um, actually, while I was filming uh, the Knocked and Ready to Rock segment, um, I think this past week or coming up here in one of the future weeks, there'll be a segment on uh, checking the poundage on your bow. And it was actually during that segment that I pulled the bow back with a hand scale. And when I went to let the bow down, uh, my front labrum actually blew out. Um, It was kind of a freak deal. I had done several things to upset my front shoulder muscles uh, during the hunting season. I had a couple different things that I think I just wasn't warmed up. A couple times I pulled my bow back without being warmed up. A couple times I, you know, tried probably doing some careless uh, moves in a tree stand, pulling myself around and, uh, and then ended up just straining my shoulder. And I think because of that muscle strain, uh, that day when I went to let my bow down, uh, just holding that hand scale, I just had everything at the wrong angle and I ended up blowing the, the back of my labrum out. So the final diagnosis, um, I've actually been to three different doctors now and I've settled on a doctor here at the University of Iowa, um, Dr. James Napola, um, very impressive doctor, specializes in shoulder surgery. Um, he's a professor, teaches teaches this exact thing at the university and came highly, highly recommended. Um, and I'm lucky that he's actually fitting me in his schedule to do this. I was supposed to have surgery tomorrow, uh, but they're actually going to be pushing it back to next Friday. So uh, for me, this is going to be a major thing. I have two slap tears. Um, like I said, I've, I've ruptured my labrum and I've ruptured it in the part of the labrum, which pretty much supports my front arm bone in the socket while I'm at full draw in archery. So it's, uh, it takes the most pressure and gives me the most pain when I'm at full draw, 
which kind of stinks. There's a lot of things that I can do, and it doesn't seem like anything's wrong with it. But as soon as I go to pull a bow back, uh, it's pretty much all over with. Uh, it's just been an absolute nightmare uh, dealing with this. So I'm happy that I'm going to deal with it and get it worked on, but I guess I'm pretty unhappy with the fact that uh, that I've got to go through the rehab that they're talking about because there are multiple things that are wrong with it. So I'm actually going to be uh, out for probably close to six months by the sounds of it, uh, which is kind of a downer, but from a, I guess from a positive point of view, um, I do have two book deals that I've, that I'm working on. So this is going to give me time to get both of these books wrapped up as well as, um, the doctors agreed to let me, uh, take photos during the surgery. And hopefully, uh, he's working on allowing me to video camera some of this so that I can use some of this during the next season of Knock On. And my plans are uh, to write a little kind of a little book or even a series called Back to Center. And I want to just go through pretty much what I did to wreck it, uh, what I have to do to fix it, and then what I have to do uh, for physical therapy to actually get it back to where I can pull a bow back again. So I think that'll be something good. I know there's a lot of people out there who have dealt with uh, shoulder injuries. A lot of people actually send me messages constantly asking me what they should do um, in relation to helping their help and rehab their shoulder surgeries. But I've obviously never went through it before so it was something I can never really answer um, but I am gonna definitely be able to tell you what you probably should and well hopefully I won't know what you shouldn't do because my plan is to follow these doctor's orders to a T um, I'm planning on you know maybe trying to get a mouth tab or something so I can shoot a bow with my right arm hopefully a low poundage bow during turkey season but I guess uh, I kind of found the, the final diagnosis here. So I've got two slap tears, a ruptured labrum, an inferior and posteri posterior labral tear uh, with two bone spurs and a paralabral cyst, which is what ruptured um, while I was letting that bow down. That's kind of what started to give me the extra pain too. Um, and then there's also a separation of my superior labrum and my bicep. So um, it's a pretty big deal, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use it in a positive way and try to come up um, with a way to come out of this stronger than I was to start with, and hopefully have some really good insight for all of you out there um, to learn off of when this is all said and done. So. The other thing, too, uh, that happened last week was uh, the third episode of Knock On aired, uh, which was uh, my moose hunt in British Columbia. And, uh, you know, the, I was, I had a toss up on that, um, whether or not I wanted to show that particular hunt um, for a few reasons. 
mainly being the fact that I did make a, a pretty bad shot on the moose. Um, I shot the moose at a, at a severe quartering angle, which I was fine with, um, but I was extremely nervous. Uh, I had held the bow back for, for quite a while because he looked at us. I was afraid to let down because I figured that would just blow the opportunity. And uh, then when he ended up giving me my shot, um, to be honest with you, my heart was beating out my chest. It had been a long time since I had felt that kind of nerves. Um, but I made a marginal shot. I mean, to be honest, I guess I made a, a crummy shot. Um, and I knew it, and I said it on camera. Um, but I did feel that uh, there was an opportunity there to talk about what equipment I was shooting and how that equipment bailed me out of a, out of a bad shot or a marginal shot because the reality is as bow hunters that's going to happen um, quite honestly last year um, I had several hunts that were successful but I got extremely lucky um, actually after this moose hunt you're going to see a really cool mule deer hunt um, where I took a shot and the mule deer just completely reacted to my bow uh, much more than probably any deer I've ever had react to my bow. Probably dropped 14 to 16 inches uh, by the time the arrow, you know, traveled only 18 or 19 yards. So, you know, because he dropped so much, I had, you know, a marginal hit on, on that deer as well. But I, once again, I did recover it. And just like with that moose, I did hit the moose. It was on a quartering away angle. Um, I hit him through the back ham. Uh, but because I was shooting a bow that was really suited for a moose hunt, it was able to bail me out of that situation. And that's really what I was trying to get, to get across to everybody was the fact that if you're going to go on an elk hunt or you're going to go on a moose hunt, if you're going to go on a large animal hunt, you really do want to take the right equipment for the job. You know, if I would have went out there with, with a setup that I use for, for antelope or whitetail, a light arrow, you know, faster bow type setup, there's just no way that I would have uh, had that kind of penetration. I, you know, I got 30 inches of penetration, um, and I had a, you know, a good sharp broadhead, but even at that angle, you know, I was able to, to put that arrow through there. I obviously cut a main artery in that, in that back quarter. Um, but I do know the arrow when I, you know, field dress the animal, I do know there was a, a, a hole right through the back of the liver. So, um, you know, it was a fatal shot and the moose, um, only went about 75 or 80 yards and was done. Um, one of the shorter track jobs that I've, that I've actually had on a moose, uh, with archery equipment. So, um, in the end, it was a great result just with a very poor start. Um, and I just really felt like if I showed everyone out there the truth and how it happened and the fact that I was able to get that type of penetration, uh, even though the shot was bad, I wanted people to see how that actually helped me. And, you know, there was a few people that made some negative comments on our Facebook page. Um, and some people, you know, 
were saying they're never going to watch the show again because I took that kind of a shot. And then, and the other thing, I guess, that kind of upset me was people said you should never take that kind of a shot on a moose that small. And there were several people that said, you know, why would you shoot a moose that size? And quite honestly, um, one, I went moose hunting last year for 10 days, got rained on for nine days. Uh, this year I was, I was able to go on a moose hunt for five days. I only had five days left. I could be away from home. So I pretty much made a last minute attempt to be able to go take, to get a moose, you know, so you know, I've had 13 days into a, into being able to get a moose. Not to mention, I really did because I was only there for five days. I had it set in my mind that I wasn't going to be selective, and uh, my guide and my good buddy Dusty had a moose tag of his own. So the agreement that we made was I was gonna I was gonna be happy with the very first moose that I could get an arrow in. Because I also wanted to be able to bring home two coolers of meat. I packed very light so I could bring home two extra bags. And uh, quite frankly, uh, that size bull is going to eat way better than a big bull. And so I wasn't going to hold out and pass up an opportunity. Uh, You know, I did, I was still able to use my remaining days to hunt with my buddy Dusty, and I was totally thankful for that. So, you know, I just want everyone out there to know. You know, yeah, there's certainly times where where I shoot some great animals on the show, um, some you know some definite trophy quality animals. But you know, you need to fully expect that you know I'm a hunter and I I'm not always gonna you know be out there hunting for horn. You know, there are gonna be times where for certain animals I'm gonna be hunting for meat. Um, this past year. I actually had a, I didn't draw a bull tag for elk in Montana. I drew a cow tag and uh, I went out there and hunted for seven days trying to get a cow and I couldn't get a cow shot. And, you know, I was going to do a whole episode just on my cow tag. So, you know, some of the people with that mentality would have had a problem with watching an elk show just because I wanted to shoot a cow. But I was, once again, um, I was really low on meat. I wanted a cow to put in the freezer, um, a cow elk anyway, and um, I wasn't able to do it. So when I had that opportunity to go two weeks later for that moose hunt for only a few days, you're darn right. I was super happy with shooting that bull, even though it wasn't a trophy bull. So I just want everyone out there to understand that there's going to be times on this show where no question one, you're going to learn from my mistakes. You know, I'm a, I'm a hunter and I definitely hunt for myself before I hunt for all of you watching the, the TV show. I can tell you that, you know, I want to fill my tag. There might be times where I make a questionable shot to the viewers. Um, and I guess I can, uh, I'll just be honest with you guys and just say that that's the shot that I took. Um, I was comfortable with it and you know if you're watching it I can tell you that I had success with it so uh, you know unfortunately that shot wasn't a perfect shot and there'll probably be another few shots during this season of the show that aren't textbook uh, perfectly placed shots but I was successful in my recovery because I shoot equipment that's set up for when I make a marginal hit so I just wanted 
to be straight up, up front and honest with all of you watching that show. I know that, um, I guess for the four or five people that sent us messages that were upset about that shot and upset about that episode, I can tell you I've had ten times more people uh, that have came up to me and said, hey, I really appreciate you showing that moose because, you know, that's the only type of moose that I've ever been able to shoot. You know, I, I shot a bull that size or I had another person come up and say, you know, we really like watching your show because it's real hunting. You know, it's not everything isn't perfect. You know, the camera work isn't perfect. You know, the shots aren't always perfect. And, and you know, for me, that's what it's all about. That's that is true to what I'm doing. You know, it's it's me and a lot of times me filming myself or having a buddy film me or or I'm out there with a family member. You know, I'm not a big production TV show. I work on an extremely limited budget and the real reason that I do it is because I want to have a platform to be able to educate you guys out there. So, you know, if you're going to turn the show off and walk away from it because of one shot that you didn't agree with, then uh, you certainly have that choice, and you know the remote control is in your hand, so don't be afraid to turn it off at any time uh, if you don't like what you see. But you know, just be aware that there are going to be other elements of the show that I guarantee you you're going to learn from. So um, most of the hunts are only four to five minutes at the most. Uh, Two thirds of this show is dedicated to education, and that's what I'm all about, and that's what I'm going to stick to. So if you don't like that, then, you know, I guess I one I, I respect and appreciate your opinion. Um, but you know, you need to find someone that's going to give you what you want to hear, what you want to see, because I'm going to stick to what I'm doing. And I want the people that like that to stick around. Um, so with that said, I do know that these next several episodes of Knock On are going to be really, really exciting. Um, but we're going to move on now. I'm going to get into some different questions, some archery-related topics, some Q&As. And uh, these are kind of an assortment of Q&As over several different subjects um, that we have gotten. So the first one comes from Mike Hartman. And he says, um, I've been shooting a fixed sight for 20 years and just recently started looking at the pendulum sights. Um, they look like they would cover a lot of different angles while in a tree stand. Just wondered what your thoughts were on them. Um, he doesn't know anyone that uses them, but he wanted a professional opinion. Um, I actually, I do like a pendulum sight. And when it comes to the one thing that a lot of people don't, really understand totally is that a pendulum sight if they're built the correct way and if they pivot correctly the pendulum actually compensates for the angle that you're shooting because you know when it comes to shooting on angles this is something that you know you really learn um at a whole different level once you start shooting um, professional field courses where you have to learn to shoot on angles and targets are, are actually marked or measured in a direct line. So, you know, if you're shooting, um, if you're standing on a target stake and there's a target 
you know, straight up a hill above you, you know, that target is measured from where you're standing in a straight line to that target. So if it's, say it's 50 yards above you in a straight line, you know, you're only going to shoot it for 50 yards if the true horizontal distance between yourself and that target is actually 50 yards, which if it's way above you, that's not going to be the case. The best way for me to explain this to a bow hunter is if you're standing in your tree stand and you're on the top of a ridge and, you know, there's a deer way down at the bottom of this ridge. And if you have a standard range finder and you put your range finder on it, it tells you 40 yards that 40 yards is not going to be the correct distance to shoot that animal because what is most important is the actual distance from your tree in a straight line straight out in front of you to you know almost the tree that that deer is standing next to so like um what I like to do is if I'm in a tree stand and there's a deer walking along a trail underneath me and he's way down there, um, say he's walking by a tree, I'll actually range a tree or range that tree in a straight line looking straight away from my, my tree stand because that's the actual distance as gravity affects the arrow. Gravity affects the arrow in a horizontal manner. It doesn't affect it the longer it's in flight you know if it's if it's shooting 60 yards straight downhill but the true distance from you in a straight line out to the to where that target is is standing is only 20 yards then that's the true distance that you have to shoot it for a lot of the range finders now do have angle compensation in there and the new Leica range finders that I have um, actually have a really cool feature where when you hold the button down and let it go, um, if you do have the angle compensation, it'll give you the first number it'll give you will be the true distance to the target. And then another number will pop up right after that, which is the actual shooting distance, which subtracts that angle. So there's a formula that actually calculates um, the percentage you have to cut in order to compensate for those angles when shooting either up or down. If you're shooting steep up, you don't shoot it for more. You'll, you'll always shoot it for less because, again, it's the distance horizontally that you have to take into consideration, not the true line of sight from point, you know, from you straight to that target. It's more you have to think of it you know, in a horizontal manner. And what a pendulum sight does is it actually, if it's set correctly to pivot the correct way, it actually swings and compensates for those degrees. So if you have a pendulum sight sighted in at 25 yards, that sight should be able to hit exactly in 20 yards if you're shooting on flat ground or if you're shooting all the way to, you know, 40 or 
70 degrees i mean you could literally be shooting straight down beneath you and if that site is built with a true pendulum style system as it swings it'll actually move that pin to a location that automatically compensates for the degree of shot so uh, what a lot of people misunderstand though is they assume that uh, they assume that the pendulum allows you to shoot the same pin at 20, 30, 40, 50 yards. And that's not true. Um, the way the pendulum works is, you know, you need to sight that pendulum, that one pin in at a specific distance. But once that's sighted in, that pendulum is really only going to work for changing your degree of the shot angle at that exact distance. So just because that pin swings and you're aiming a little bit higher for 40 yards, it's not going to automatically lower in order for you to uh, shoot that 20 yards. It just more or less swings at a, at a very specific uh, angle, which matches ballistic drop. So, you know, that was a very long way of explaining it, but I, I think it's important because I know of several friends who went out and bought a pendulum sight because they figured that they could just sight it in at 20 yards and then when they loosened the pendulum so it, swing, so it was swinging, that they could just use that same pin all the way out to 50 or 60 yards, and that's not the case. Uh, the pendulum does work effectively, but it's only going to work effectively at the specific distance that you've actually moved that sight pin towards. So, you know, just make sure uh, you keep that in mind uh, when you do get a sight. And also, when it comes to any type of bow sight, really try to focus on ones that are made of aluminum. Uh, I've seen some good pendulum sights over the years. Um, actually, Fuse made a pretty cool pendulum sight several years ago. I actually still have one um, just because I, I really liked it. They quit making them just because of the fact that there just wasn't much for sales. Um, there just wasn't a lot of people that understood how a pendulum sight worked. Um, but, you know, I guess... Uh, if you do have a good one, they are really, really slick. As long as you have that thing set to the exact distance that you need, then it's just a matter of unlocking it so it can swing. And no matter if you're shooting on flat ground or 45-degree slope, that pin should automatically swing and compensate for, for that drop. Uh, the next question I've got here, it's actually two questions, and both of these come from Scott Bills. Uh, Scott, I think you're expecting, or your wife is expecting, so uh, congratulations to you. I saw on your on your picture there, I saw her shooting, I think she shot her personal best here. I saw on the Facebook feed the other day uh, being pregnant, so that's uh, hats off to her. That's super cool. Uh, but his first question is, uh, he sees a lot of pros um, using the left helical for better clearance uh, on their cables right now. Um, you know, I guess I hadn't particularly heard that, I guess, um, you know, whether you're shooting left helical or right helical, um, ideally it's, you know, if you do have a true helical that, that, that 
is still going to wrap a certain direction one way or another. It's going to, it's going to probably have the exact same amount of clearance. Um, you know, I've asked a lot of pros. I've, I've ran into several pros that, that had left helical and I asked them why they shot them. And, uh, the most common answer I've got was, well, that's just what came with my jig. Um, I was told years ago not to shoot a left helical um, for hunting just because it would unscrew the broadhead. I've never had that happen, but they, you know, they just say it turns the different direction. Um, I've actually just always shot uh, a right helical. Um, I shoot about a one degree offset, actually. That's about all I found to need. Um, you know, what I really like to do is, is shoot a longer low profile vein versus trying to shoot these shorter high profile veins when it comes to clearance. Um, you know, a lot of these guys that are trying to shoot, um, a big four inch feather, and a lot of the guy, the pros now are really trying to swing their cables really close, you know, as close as they can to get minimal clearance or to reduce that clearance and also reduce the torque in their actual system. Um, a lot of these guys are just running that so close. And regardless of if you have a right or a left helical, I mean, ideally, if you're shooting um, a cock vein up, which you're going to have to do on a launcher style rest. Um, you know, whether that, whether that arrow or that fletching bends to the right or bends to the left, the tail of that is still going to be in the same spot. And the tail of it is what actually is going to, um, run the risk of coming in contact with those actual cables. So, um, you know, I don't think that it matters at all. I think a lot of people just more or less go with what they were given uh, when they bought that that jig. And the other thing, too, is I know back in the day, it was a lot easier for me to go into an archery shop and get a left-handed uh, or a left-wing feather versus a right-wing feather just because there was always ones left on the shelf. So some people... Uh, started shooting the left just for that particular reason as well. Um, you know, I could be wrong on that, and if I am, you know, someone can send me a message and, and let me know. But uh, I know that I've tried them all different ways, and I've tried tons of helical, and I've tried none, and uh, I've pretty much just settled with one degree. And that's something that uh, that actually True Flight um proved to me years ago they made an arrow called the pro series which was actually just standard eastern arrows but they hand selected those shafts they pretty much culled through them they found you know 12 arrows that were all within one grain of one another and then they would all be fletched on the exact same machine and they did a lot of testing with how much actual helical or offset um a vein or a uh, an arrow needed and it was decided that one degree is pretty much the perfect, the perfect one. And I did a lot of testing with those back in the day too. And absolutely, the one degree shot just as good as anything else. And they also retain their speed really well at the longer distances. Um, the next question you said was, um, you said I primarily shoot recurve for competition. Um, a few years back, I remembered that. Uh, that you were playing around with the recurve and shooting a bit. 
Um, do I still shoot a recurve and what, if any benefits do I feel yielded for compound shooting? And this is really, really important. I actually have a segment during one of the television shows um, where I talk um, about one thing that this that I really learned from shooting my recurve, and it's actually on a um, a segment that'll be coming up here uh, in the next few weeks on the television show. But um, you know, I shot recurve to begin with mainly because obviously I do a ton of seminars throughout Europe. There's um, a huge percentage of recurve shooters throughout you know the international scene versus the compound archers and. I just didn't like not having much for knowledge on the recurve bow itself. Um, it wasn't anything that really interested me years ago. But then once I started shooting it, um, I realized just how, one, how fun it was and how different it was. And two, it's, I think what makes archers better is the ability to have a big a bigger magnifying glass and what i mean by that is you know if you critique your shooting if you're able to look at yourself from a from a far distance it's really hard to tell the different things that you're doing wrong but the more you can really zoom in and focus on all the small little areas the better that you can get and the better that you can understand each and every one of those little mistakes that you're doing and, and what the result is like. Shooting a recurve is like having a huge magnifying glass because anything you do wrong shows up. Um, your alignment, your posture is critical with the recurve, especially if you learn to shoot one the correct way with a clicker. Um, your head position um, not bringing your head forward to the string, um, learning what's called expansion and learning to shoot with a broad chest and shoot with your shoulders um, in a fully expanded position instead of scrunching them together. Um, the importance of you know having a front bow arm that's in a consistent and repeatable position each and every shot. Um, the importance of really understanding your anchor position and you know your finger position on the string all these things just really added up to me understanding compound archery much much better and you know there's a difference between going out and just shooting an olympic style recurve versus being taught by a true professional about an olympic style recurve bow and having it set up the correct way and trying to shoot it correctly. You know, I focused for about a year on that and I just, I wanted to do it long enough to where I felt like um, I had, you know, more than a basic knowledge on it as well as I wanted to see what it would do for my compound shooting. And it 100% made my compound shooting better. It broadened my knowledge as a compound archer um, and it really opened my eyes to I guess the key things for me was um, posture, bone alignment, head position, um, and then actual um, your expansion and how to properly pull through a shot using back tension. 
Um, all those things were immediately apparent when I learned to shoot a recurve. So uh, for any of you out there who have considered it, uh, or for any of you out there who are just maybe getting a little bit stale with shooting your compound bow, this is something that you should really try because you're going to learn a lot of things. And when you go back to your compound, you're going to see just how much better you are. You know, there's a ton of um, Olympic style recurve shooters that are phenomenal compound shooters. And most people that put down a, com a recurve bow can pick up a compound bow and just drive tacks with it. So, you know, and mainly because they've learned to shoot something that's so unforgiving that once you put something in their hands like that, um, it's almost hard for them to make a mistake when it comes to form breakdown. Uh, the next question here I've got from Matt Mangan, and he said, I've always wondered about breathing during the shot execution. Um, and he said, best of luck again with your surgery and he thinks that it was really awesome uh here in the commentation at, for the las classic so i appreciate the feedback matt and um the breathing i know that we've talked about this in previous podcasts um but for me i you know i really look at my shot execution and my timing and my rhythm um i kind of time that according to my breathing you know i like to breathe in um, you know, I like to breathe in and out fluidly. I do really try to monitor my breathing. Um, I've actually read a lot of books on learning to breathe. Um, running books are really good for learning um, breathing. Meditation books are really good for learning breathing. And these are all important things to know between shots and leading up to a shot. And also how breathing and learning to breathe and meditate and have like a meditative state or a mantra um, and focus on those breathing between shots can actually help you um, overcome some some tournament nerves which is actually one of the next questions um, so look for some books that can talk to you a little bit about breathing and how to do that properly and i focus on doing that in between my shots but once I've actually drawn my bow, I, I kind of try to time it so as I'm drawing my bow and coming to my anchor, I'm inhaling, you know, a full breath. And then as I get into my anchor and I settle my eyes into my peep and level my sight, from that point I pretty much cease my breathing and more or less just focus on pulling through the shot and letting my breath just relax out of my body and you know my breath I will s slowly more or less let air out as I'm pulling through my shot um, if it gets to the point where I haven't where I'm out of air and I need to breathe back in again for me that's kind of a um, that's like my personal little uh, kitchen timer kind of saying hey that shot took way longer than what you normally need so it's a good idea to reset the shot and start over. You know, my shots take around 12 to 14 seconds from more or less lifting, you know, once I'm lifting the bow to draw it back all the way until my shot fires. But when it comes to actual, you know, my pin is on the target and I'm engaged on my trigger and pulling through, 
that never takes more than about seven. So, you know, if I've run out of oxygen, then I need to go ahead and cancel that shot and reset. And, you know, and there's a number of reasons why, too. As you run out of oxygen, you'll notice that your sight picture starts to get a little bit fuzzy. You know, your your perfect eclipse of your scope and your peep, you know, you start to lose that crispness. You know, you'll start to move around a little bit more, and obviously as you need to to breathe air in, it's going to cause you to, to have some movement as well. So for me, learning my breath um, and focusing on my breathing between shots, but then learning to breathe in, you know, get a very good, good breath of air as I'm drawn and coming into my peep sight. But then once, once my pin settles to the target and I've moved into my to my last step of my shot routine, which is engaging the trigger and pulling through, um, I'm more or less just letting my breath freely exhale. Um, and again, I just mentioned one thing, which kind of brings us right into this next question from from Lawrence uh, Tenold, and he was saying, you know, how do you overcome nerves? Um, in before or during during tournaments and this is another thing that we've covered on previous podcasts so um, if you're listening to this one do make sure you go back and listen through some of the previous podcasts Um, and we did get this past week we actually did fix a problem on the podcast for some reason it was only allowing us to have 15 podcasts on the page at one time and it was not allowing people to go back to some of the earlier ones but we've changed that now so you can go from this podcast all the way back to podcast number one so make sure uh, you check that out if you haven't already Um, but there's really a number of things for you know overcoming nerves first off uh, you know you need to expect to be nervous the first time you're going into a major event or the first time you're going into a metal match or the first time you're doing something that has importance. Um, you know, the more you put yourself in that element, though, the more you're going to get used to it. And it's just, you know, it's it's kind of like going to the job. You know, your first day on the job, you're really nervous about making a mistake. You're there, you're nervous, you're doing everything uh, you can to kind of try to just minimize your nerves and, and not do something stupid. And the same is true with, you know, when you're at a, at a big event and you're trying to perform. A lot of times you're just really trying to not make a mistake um, and your performance ends up being less because you're really on a defensive rather than offensive. Um, but the more you put yourself into that position, the easier it's going to be to overcome that, those things. Uh, the easier it's going to be to go there and, and not feel those types of pressures in the situations where, you know, at one time it felt like, an extreme amount of pressure um, during the tournaments. You know what I am a firm believer in is having a shot routine that you constantly think about each and every single shot. A process, you know, a systematic process of steps that literally set yourself up to make a perfectly executed shot each and every time you put an arrow on your string. Focusing on that routine and having it in your conscious thoughts 
versus having the mentality of, well, I practice so much so that I can do all this without having to think about it. Um, the problem is if you're not thinking about it and you're and you're not actually occupying your conscious thoughts with that process, then you're leaving your conscious mind open and vulnerable to drawing another focus um, to think about, which in a lot of cases, it's going to cling on to some type of a situation that's going to, that has importance. So if you're sitting there and you're not thinking about anything, um, and all of a sudden your conscious mind has the ability to say, um, oh, hey, uh, this is, if you shoot two more arrows in the gold, this is for a world record, you know, well, that's when all of a sudden the conscious ends up screwing you up and it starts thinking about way more things than than what you should have been if if you would have been occupying that conscious mind with is my stance right does it look right does it feel right am i gripping the bow correctly okay now is my front shoulder position correct you know okay coming to my anchor anchor's good feels right i know my angle's right you know i've got my peep centered i mean when you're occupying every single thought on your conscious side with your routine you just you minimize the opportunity to get nervous and to set that trigger off so having a routine is critical putting yourself into that position a lot is critical and then also you know like i said i give a lot of credit to learning meditation learning to focus on breathing um, learning how to really focus on breath controlling your breathing which helps really control your heart rate Um, and there's also been several studies um, one by Peter Suk the former uh, Olympic coach for Great Britain and I'm not sure if he's still working with Italy now but he was Um, he's done a lot of research on how conditioning your heart um, and learning to condition your breathing by exercising Uh, during your practice how you can learn to actually control that and help you perform better um, when you start to get an elevated heart rate due to you know performance so you know I think a great place to start is to maybe just you know either do some look at some articles once again I've got articles on dudleyarchery.info uh, go to the articles tab. There's also articles on uh, knockontv.com, uh, again, on the articles tab. And there are definitely some on there um, related specifically um, to, like, breaking your personal breasts, um, you know, how to perform in the moment. So those go a little bit more depth into some specific subjects too, Lawrence, that can help you with that. But for me, the main thing is the more you can put yourself into that position, the better you are going to be with dealing with it. You know, it's a lot like the first time you see, you know, if you're a hunter, the first time you go out and see a big buck, you know, your heart just beats through your chest. But, you know, after you've seen uh, 10 or 15 of them, uh, that starts to reduce because you've just been in that element more and more and more times. So, you know, I call it trial by fire. The more you can put yourself into that situation, uh, the more likely you're going to be to start to adapt and get used to that situation as well. 
the next question here is from from Chris uh, Shum or Shum. Um, he's asking, you know, and I, this is going to be specific to indoor target archers because he's asking um, why do so many people leave their arrows really long and then have to run like a real heavy like 200 grain tip and the reason being is because a lot of people are trying to shoot a, the biggest shaft diameter that they can possibly shoot which um, for a lot of the nfaa tournaments is going to be a 27 uh, diameter you know 27 uh, wide like a 27 12 and the thing is that's i mean that's practically a telephone pole i mean that for people that are target archers shooting 60 pounds or 50 pounds this is just way over spined um you know that arrow would spine out for someone that's shooting you know 10 or 15 more pounds than that so in order to make that arrow match their bow so that the spine is closer to what their bow actually calls for so that that arrow actually flexes and paradoxes correctly um you have to do that by either shooting a very heavy point, which helps that arrow bend, or you have to have a longer arrow. Um, so, you know, either adding point weight, having a longer arrow, or the combination of both can help an arrow flex a lot more. So, you know, if you look at some of the people that are um, the shorter draw length people, they're going to have to have that arrow at a longer length with that heavier point in order for it to truly shoot the correct way. Um, one article that you really need to read if you haven't had it is actually a method that I that I know I invented the name of it for sure, uh, which I call the hill method. That's the number one method I use for actually tuning my arrows to my bow. I call it the hill method because it what I measure is the horizontal impact line. I measure the margin of error from left to right with a particular arrow shaft coming out of a specific bow. And what I found was even a bow that's perfectly set up, it can have a completely different grouping with a number of different combinations on arrows, um, arrow length changes that very very fast so you know a lot of people that say are shooting a 27 28 29 inch draw length and they're trying to shoot these big diameter shafts unless they're wanting to shoot a 300 grain point they're having to shoot that arrow at that 29 inch mark in order to get it to work so um you know or even longer you know i know some girls that have to shoot a full length arrow in order for it to actually group really good from left to right if your arrow is too weak or too stiff what you'll find is even if your bow is perfectly set up and even if you're shooting out of a shooting machine it'll spray arrows horizontally the left to right miss or left to right impact line will be affected according to that arrow's spine match to the bow that you're shooting so that's the reason why they're doing that. If they would choose to go to say a 2212 or you know a 2312, you know a smaller diameter, uh, thinner wall arrow, they would be able to shoot that arrow at their correct length 
um, and ultimately get it to shoot just as accurate as that big one. The difference is if they make a, a marginal shot, you know, obviously they're trying to have that extra, that little bit extra eighth of an inch, or, you know, difference uh, to try to grab the line. But in all fairness, um, the highest field round I've ever shot, the highest target round I've ever shot was with X10s, uh, which are, you know, among the smallest arrow diameters there are, period. Um, and then also uh, when it comes to indoor shooting, the highest scores I've ever shot have always been with the 2315. Um, I've actually never been able to get um, the bigger diameter arrows to shoot better X counts than what I have when I've matched uh, a perfect spine arrow cut to my exact length uh, and have a point to match. So, you know, I've actually elected to shoot the smaller diameter shafts because my X count has always been higher. And it was the same when I shot 3D. You know, a lot of times I really wouldn't focus on trying to have the biggest diameter shaft that was available. Back then it was 23 or I'm sorry, 25, uh, they had 25 12s and 25 14s. A lot of guys were trying to shoot these bows with those arrows, and I could just never get them to work. I always shot 23 12s uh, much better than any of the 24s or 25s or even 26s once they came out. So I've just really stuck with that. And uh, even still today when I shoot uh, 3D, I still shoot uh, a 23-12 or a fat boy and I've got them to shoot just as good uh, you know 12 counts for me as some of those bigger shafts because quite frankly unless I wanted to shoot them at a longer you know 32 full length with a really really heavy point they just don't spine match for my particular bows. Uh, the last question here um, is from Brent Jackson and he kind of says uh, that he just can't seem to shoot indoors. He has target panic when he shoots indoors. Uh, just isn't comfortable shooting indoors. And hey, man, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely can sympathize with you. I went through a long period there where I just dreaded shooting indoors. Uh, you know, I, I actually wrote an article, um, which I talked about in that last uh, podcast, uh, the Scars article, and uh, I talked about. Uh, how at one time I was considered one of the best 3D shooters there was, but almost every single indoor club shooter I knew could easily beat me uh, because I was the same way. I just I really had a lot of uh, nerve and panic uh, when it came to indoor shooting. And to be honest with you, until I just threw myself in that environment and just decided... Uh, that, hey, this is just a mental block that I'm putting on myself. Um, once I did that, I finally was able to start improving and slowly getting better at indoor shooting. I can tell you, um, you know, unless you're willing to continue to do it and get it set in your mind uh, that you're just kind of uh, letting it get the best of you and being a baby about it, then you're never going to improve. You need to just uh, tell yourself, listen, this is, you know, this is bull crap. I'm psyching myself out on this. Um, if anything, I can tell you that I went from 
hating indoor shooting to now I really, really like indoor shooting. And the reason is, is because I look at it as the perfect time for me to really focus on shooting without having anything move me around. You know, I love shooting outdoors because I get to see a different target each time I look at it. You know, the target looks nice. I'm outside. I get to enjoy the weather. However, I don't have to deal with wind. I don't have to deal with different lighting. I don't have to deal with, you know, having the sun glaring in my eyes or not being able to see the target because of a shadow on it. Um, You know, just kind of get it set in your mind that really the best thing that you can do to just really be able to shoot an arrow and enjoy it is to be inside where you know the temperature's perfect the lighting on the targets are good there's no wind to blow you around uh you know just really get it set in your mind all i'm going to do is focus on being able to to make my shots one arrow at a time and you know if you're if you're in the habit of where you're starting to punch the trigger, you know, make it a game for yourself to see how long you can put your finger on your trigger uh, before you make it fire. Uh, you know, just like we talked about earlier, you know, I use my breathing as timing. Um, a lot of times what I would do is, you know, as I'm breathing, I would, you know, when I was battling target panic, I would get my finger around my trigger and I would just really try to see how long I could keep my finger on that trigger without punching it. And it got to the point where, you know, I could pull back and I could keep my finger on the trigger uh, really as long as I wanted to and aim my bow without, without actually having to hit the trigger. And then I just made the game of, okay, I'm going to see how slow I can actually pull this trigger until it fires. I'm going to intentionally try to make my shots last as long as they possibly can because of how slow I'm pulling on this trigger and I learned how to make a surprise shot so there's lots of things you can that you can take out of shooting indoors even if you have target panic shooting indoors is the best place to overcome target panic, to focus on just making good shots, to really know how good your bow is shooting, to really focus on repetition, uh, and not have any type of distraction like that. Just try to block that other stuff out of your mind and really focus on what you're there for, and that's just shooting arrows. So I'm going to use that last question as kind of my segue to saying adios amigos uh we've got a had a really good podcast definitely a little bit longer than some of the others but i think we covered some awesome topics and uh once again i appreciate all you guys listening and definitely hope that uh all of you out there can uh continue to spread the word for me about what knock on is all about and also about the knock on podcasts uh sure appreciate it everybody and uh Look forward to seeing you someplace on an archery range. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com